Chapter Fourteen of Cousin Betty by Honoré de Balzac, translated by James Waring. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. Chapter Fourteen. On the day before, old Johann Fischer, unable to pay thirty thousand francs drawn for on him by his nephew, had found himself under the necessity of stopping payment unless the Baron could remit the sum this ancient worthy with the white hairs of seventy years had such blind confidence in hulot who to the old bonapartist was an emanation from the napoleonic sun that he was calmly pacing his anteroom with the bank clerk in the little ground-floor apartment that he rented for eight hundred francs a year as the headquarters of his extensive dealings in corn and forage marguerite has gone to fetch the money from close by said he the official in his gray uniform braided with silver was so convinced of the old alsatian's honesty that he was prepared to leave the thirty thousand francs worth of bills in his hands but the old man would not let him go observing that the clock had not yet struck eight a cab drew up the old man rushed into the street and held out his hand to the baron with sublime confidence hulot handed him out thirty thousand franc notes go on three doors further and i will tell you why said fischer here young man he said returning to count out the money to the bank emissary whom he then saw to the door when the clerk was out of sight fischer called back the cab containing his august nephew napoleon's right hand and said as he led him into the house you do not want them to know at the bank of france that you paid me the thirty thousand francs after endorsing the bills it was bad enough to see them signed by such a man as you come to the bottom of your little garden father fischer said the important man you are hearty he went on sitting down under a vine arbor and scanning the old man from head to foot as a dealer in human flesh scans a substitute for the conscription ay hearty enough for a tontine said the lean little old man his sinews were wiry and his eye bright does heat disagree with you quite the contrary what do you say to africa a very nice country the french went there with the little corporal napoleon to get us all out of the present scrape you must go to algiers said the baron and how about my business an official in the war office who has to retire and has not enough to live on with his pension will buy your business and what am i to do in algiers supply the commissariat with victuals corn and forage i have your commission ready filled in and signed you can collect supplies in the country at seventy per cent below the prices at which you can credit us how shall we get them oh by raids by taxes in kind and the caliphate the country is little known though we settled there eight years ago algeria produces vast quantities of corn and forage when this produce belongs to arabs we take it from them under various pretenses when it belongs to us the arabs try to get it back again there is a great deal of fighting over the corn and no one ever knows exactly how much each party has stolen from the other there is not time in the open field to measure the corn as we do in the paris market or the hay as it is sold in the rue d'enfer the arab chiefs like our spahis prefer hard cash and sell the plunder at a very low price the commissariat needs a fixed quantity and must have it 
it winks at exorbitant prices calculated on the difficulty of procuring food and the dangers to which every form of transport is exposed that is algiers from the army contractor's point of view it is a muddle tempered by the ink-bottle like every incipient government we shall not see our way through it for another ten years we who have to do the governing but private enterprise has sharp eyes so i am sending you there to make a fortune i give you the job as napoleon put an impoverished marshal at the head of a kingdom where smuggling might be secretly encouraged i am ruined my dear fisher i must have a hundred thousand francs within a year i see no harm in getting it out of the bedouins said the alsatian calmly it was always done under the empire the man who wants to buy your business will be here this morning and pay you ten thousand francs down the baron went on that will be enough i suppose to take you to africa the old man nodded assent as to capital out there be quite easy i will draw the remainder of the money due if i find it necessary all i have is yours my very blood said old fisher oh do not be uneasy said hulot fancying that his uncle saw more clearly than was the fact as to our excise dealings your character will not be impugned everything depends on the authority at your back now i myself appointed the authorities out there i am sure of them this uncle fisher is a dead secret between us i know you well and i have spoken out without concealment or circumlocution it shall be done said the old man and it will go on for two years you will have made a hundred thousand francs of your own to live happy on in the vosges i will do as you wish my honor is yours said the little old man quietly that is the sort of man i like however you must not go till you have seen your grandniece happily married she is to be a countess but even taxes and raids and the money paid by the war office clerk for fisher's business could not forthwith provide sixty thousand francs to give hortense to say nothing of her trousseau which was to cost about five thousand and the forty thousand spent or to be spent on madame marneffe where then had the baron found the thirty thousand francs he had just produced this was the history a few days previously hulot had insured his life for the sum of a hundred and fifty thousand francs for three years in two separate companies armed with the policies of which he paid the premium he had spoken as follows to the baron de nucingen a peer of the chamber in whose carriage he found himself after a sitting driving home in fact to dine with him baron i want seventy thousand francs and i apply to you you must find some one to lend his name to whom i will make over the right to draw my pay for three years it amounts to twenty-five thousand francs a year that is seventy-five thousand francs you will say but you may die the banker signified his assent here then is a policy of insurance for a hundred and fifty thousand francs which i will deposit with you till you have drawn up the eighty thousand francs said hulot producing the document from his pocket but if you should lose your place said the millionaire baron laughing the other baron not a millionaire looked grave 
be quite easy i only raised the question to show you that i was not devoid of merit in handing you the sum are you so short of cash for the bank will take your signature my daughter is to be married said baron hulot and i have no fortune like every one else who remains in office in these thankless times when five hundred ordinary men seated on benches will never reward the men who devote themselves to the service as handsomely as the emperor did well well but you had josepha on your hands replied nucingen and that accounts for everything between ourselves the duc d'herouville has done you a very good turn by removing that leech from sucking your purse dry i have known what that is and can pity your case he quoted take a friend's advice shut up shop or you will be done for this dirty business was carried out in the name of one vauvinet a small money-lender one of those jobbers who stand forward to screen great banking-houses like the little fish that is said to attend the shark this stock-jobber's apprentice was so anxious to gain the patronage of monsieur le baron hulot that he promised the great man to negotiate bills of exchange for thirty thousand francs at eighty days and pledged himself to renew them four times and never pass them out of his hands fischer's successor was to pay forty thousand francs for the house and the business with the promise that he should supply forage to a department close to paris this was the desperate maze of affairs into which a man who had hitherto been absolutely honest was led by his passions one of the best administrative officials under napoleon peculation to pay the money-lenders and borrowing of the money-lenders to gratify his passions and provide for his daughter all the efforts of this elaborate prodigality were directed at making a display before madame marneffe and to playing jupiter to this middle-class danai a man could not expend more activity intelligence and presence of mind in the honest acquisition of a fortune than the baron displayed in shoving his head into a wasp's nest he did all the business of his department he hurried on the upholsterers he talked to the workmen he kept a sharp lookout on the smallest details of the house in the rue vanneau wholly devoted to madame marneffe he nevertheless attended the sittings of the chambers he was everywhere at once and neither his family nor anybody else discovered where his thoughts were adeline quite amazed to hear that her uncle was rescued and to see a handsome sum figure in the marriage contract was not altogether easy in spite of her joy at seeing her daughter married under such creditable circumstances but on the day before the wedding fixed by the baron to coincide with madame marneffe's removal to her new apartment hector allayed his wife's astonishment by this ministerial communication now adeline our girl is married all our anxieties on the subject are at an end the time is come for us to retire from the world i shall not remain in office more than three years longer only the time necessary to secure my pension why henceforth should we be at any unnecessary expense our apartment costs us six thousand francs a year in rent we have four servants we eat thirty thousand francs worth of food in a year if you want me to pay off my bills for i have pledged my salary for the sums i needed to give hortense her little money and pay off your uncle you did very right said she interrupting her husband and kissing his hands 
this explanation relieved adeline of all her fears i shall have to ask some little sacrifices of you he went on disengaging his hands and kissing his wife's brow i have found in the rue plumet a very good flat on the first floor handsome splendidly panelled at only fifteen hundred francs a year where you would need only one woman to wait on you and i could be quite content with a boy yes my dear if we keep house in a quiet way keeping up a proper appearance of course we should not spend more than six thousand francs a year excepting my private account which i will provide for the generous-hearted woman threw her arms round her husband's neck in her joy how happy i shall be beginning again to show you how truly i love you she exclaimed and what a capital manager you are we will have the children to dine with us once a week i as you know rarely dine at home you can very well dine twice a week with victorin and twice a week with hortense and as i believe i may succeed in making matters up completely between crevel and us we can dine once a week with him these five dinners and our own at home will fill up the week all but one day supposing that we may occasionally be invited to dine elsewhere i shall save a great deal for you said adeline oh he cried you are the pearl of women my kind divine hector i shall bless you with my latest breath said she for you have done well for my dear hortense this was the beginning of the end of the beautiful madame hulot's home and it may be added of her being totally neglected as hulot had solemnly promised madame marneffe crevel the important and burly being invited as a matter of course to the party given for the signing of the marriage contract behaved as though the scene with which this drama opened had never taken place as though he had no grievance against the baron celestin crevel was quite amiable he was perhaps rather too much the ex-perfumer but as a major he was beginning to acquire majestic dignity he talked of dancing at the wedding fair lady said he politely to the baroness people like us know how to forget do not banish me from your home honour me pray by gracing my house with your presence now and then to meet your children be quite easy i will never say anything of what lies buried at the bottom of my heart i behaved indeed like an idiot for i should lose too much by cutting myself off from seeing you monsieur an honest woman has no ears for such speeches as those you refer to if you keep your word you need not doubt that it will give me pleasure to see an end of a coolness which must always be painful in a family well you sulky old fellow said hulot dragging crevel out into the garden you avoid me everywhere even in my own house are two admirers of the fair sex to quarrel for ever over a petticoat come this is really too plebeian i monsieur am not such a fine man as you are and my small attractions hinder me from repairing my losses so easily as you can sarcastic said the baron irony is allowable from the vanquished to the conqueror the conversation begun in this strain ended in a complete reconciliation still crevel maintained his right to take his revenge 
madame marneffe particularly wished to be invited to mademoiselle hulot's wedding to enable him to receive his future mistress in his drawing-room the great official was obliged to invite all the clerks of his division down to the deputy head clerks inclusive thus a grand ball was a necessity the baroness as a prudent housewife calculated that an evening party would cost less than a dinner and allow of a larger number of invitations so hortense's wedding was much talked about marshal prince wissembourg and the baron de nucingen signed in behalf of the bride the comte de rastignac and popinot in behalf of steinbach then as the highest nobility among the polish emigrants had been civil to count steinbach since he had become famous the artist thought himself bound to invite them the state council and the war office to which the baron belonged and the army anxious to do honor to the comte de Fortsheim, were all represented by their magnates there were nearly two hundred indispensable invitations how natural then that little madame marneffe was bent on figuring in all her glory amid such an assembly the baroness had a month since sold her diamonds to set up her daughter's house while keeping the finest for the trousseau the sale realized fifteen thousand francs of which five thousand were sunk in hortense's clothes and what was ten thousand francs for the furniture of the young folks apartment considering the demands of modern luxury however young monsieur and madame hulot old crevel and the comte de Fortsheim made very handsome presents for the old soldier had set aside a sum for the purchase of plate thanks to these contributions even an exacting parisian would have been pleased with the rooms the young couple had taken in the rue saint dominique near the invalide everything seemed in harmony with their love pure honest and sincere at last the great day dawned for it was to be a great day not only for wenceslas and hortense but for old hulot too madame marneffe was to give a housewarming in her new apartment the day after becoming hulot's mistress en titre and after the marriage of the lovers who but has once in his life been a guest at a wedding ball every reader can refer to his reminiscences and will probably smile as he calls up the images of all that company in their sunday best faces as well as their finest frippery if any social event can prove the influence of environment is it not this in fact the sunday best mood of some reacts so effectually on the rest that the men who are most accustomed to wearing full dress look just like those to whom the party is a high festival unique in their life and think too of the serious old men to whom such things are so completely a matter of indifference that they are wearing their everyday black coats the long-married men whose faces betray their sad experience of the life the young pair are but just entering on and the lighter elements present as carbonic acid gas is in champagne and the envious girls the women absorbed in wondering if their dress is a success the poor relations whose parsimonious get-up contrasts with that of the officials in uniform and the greedy ones thinking only of the supper and the gamblers thinking only of cards there are some of every sort rich and poor envious and envied 
philosophers and dreamers all grouped like the plants in a flower-bed round the rare choice blossom the bride a wedding-ball is an epitome of the world at the liveliest moment of the evening crevel led the baron aside and said in a whisper with the most natural manner possible by jove that's a pretty woman the little lady in pink who has opened a racking fire on you from her eyes which the wife of that clerk you are promoting heaven knows how madame marneffe what do you know about it listen hulot i will try to forgive you the ill you have done me if only you will introduce me to her i will take you to eloise everybody is asking who is that charming creature are you sure that it will strike no one how and why her husband's appointment got itself signed you happy rascal she is worth a whole office i would serve in her office only too gladly come sinna let us be friends better friends than ever said the baron to the perfumer and i promise you i will be a good fellow within a month you shall dine with that little angel for it is an angel this time old boy and i advise you like me to have done with the devils cousin betty who had moved to the rue vanneau into a nice little apartment on the third floor left the ball at ten o'clock but came back to see with her own eyes the two bonds bearing twelve hundred francs interest one of them was the property of the countess steinbock the other was in the name of madame hulot it was thus intelligible that m crevel should have spoken to hulot about madame marneffe as knowing what was a secret to the rest of the world for as m marneffe was away no one but lisbeth fischer besides the baron and valerie was initiated into the mystery the baron had made a blunder in giving madame marneffe a dress far too magnificent for the wife of a subordinate official other women were jealous alike of her beauty and of her gown there was much whispering behind fans for the poverty of the marneffes was known to every one in the office the husband had been petitioning for help at the very moment when the baron had been so smitten with madame also hector could not conceal his exultation at seeing valerie's success and she severely proper very ladylike and greatly envied was the object of that strict examination which women so greatly fear when they appear for the first time in a new circle of society after seeing his wife into a carriage with his daughter and his son-in-law hulot managed to escape unperceived leaving his son and celestine to do the honors of the house he got into madame marneffe's carriage to see her home but he found her silent and pensive almost melancholy my happiness makes you very sad valerie said he putting his arm round her and drawing her to him can you wonder my dear said she that a hapless woman should be a little depressed at the thought of her first fall from virtue even when her husband's atrocities have set her free do you suppose that i have no soul no beliefs no religion your glee this evening has been really too barefaced you have paraded me odiously really a schoolboy would have been less of a coxcomb and the ladies have dissected me with their side glances and their satirical remarks every woman has some care for her reputation and you have wrecked mine 
oh i am yours and no mistake and i have not an excuse left but that of being faithful to you monster that you are she added laughing and allowing him to kiss her you knew very well what you were doing madame coquet our chief clerk's wife came to sit down by me and admired my lace english point said she was it very expensive madame i do not know this lace was my mother's i am not rich enough to buy the like said i madame marneffe in short had so bewitched the old beau that he really believed she was sinning for the first time for his sake and that he had inspired such a passion as had led her to this breach of duty she told him that the wretch marneffe had neglected her after they had been three days married and for the most odious reasons since then she had lived as innocently as a girl marriage had seemed to her so horrible this was the cause of her present melancholy if love should prove to be like marriage said she in tears these insinuating lies with which almost every woman in valerie's predicament is ready gave the baron distant visions of the roses of the seventh heaven and so valerie coquetted with her lover while the artist and hortense were impatiently awaiting the moment when the baroness should have given the girl her last kiss and blessing at seven in the morning the baron perfectly happy for his valerie was at once the most guileless of girls and the most consummate of demons went back to release his son and celestine from their duties all the dancers for the most part strangers had taken possession of the territory as they do at every wedding ball and were keeping up the endless figures of the cotillions while the gamblers were still crowding round the bouillotte tables and old crevel had won six thousand francs the morning papers carried round the town contained this paragraph in the paris article the marriage was celebrated this morning at the church of saint thomas d'aquin between monsieur le comte steinbach and mademoiselle hortense hulot daughter of baron hulot d'ervy councillor of state and a director at the war office niece of the famous general comte de Fortsheim. the ceremony attracted a large gathering there were present some of the most distinguished artists of the day leon de lora joseph bridau stidman and bichu the magnates of the war office of the council of state and many members of the two chambers also the most distinguished of the polish exiles living in paris counts paz laginski and others monsieur le comte wenceslas steinbach is grand-nephew to the famous general who served under charles the twelfth king of sweden the young count having taken part in the polish rebellion found a refuge in france where his well-earned fame as a sculptor has procured him a patent of naturalization and so in spite of the baron's cruel lack of money nothing was lacking that public opinion could require not even the trumpeting of the newspapers over his daughter's marriage which was solemnized in the same way in every particular as his son's had been to mademoiselle crevel this display moderated the reports current as to the baron's financial position while the fortune assigned to his daughter explained the need for having borrowed money here ends what is in a way the introduction to this story it is to the drama that follows what the premise is to a syllogism what the prologue is to a classical tragedy End of chapter 14